Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, Silent Bob from all those Jay and Silent Bob type pictures, man. And I'm breaking the silence to tell you that you're listening to the Buff and the Blazer podcast with Drew and El Tato. Enjoy the show, kids. Hey, El Tato. What's going on? We got a podcast of Buff and the Blazer. If I was a listener, where would I go to find more? You can check us out on our website, thebuffintheblazer.com. Drew over there writes a article that goes along with every single episode. You can find all kinds of little extras on the articles, and you can listen to the podcast right there. Also, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, we're on Twitter, at Buff and Blazer. Follow us there. Get those clicks, people. The Buff and the Blazer. Welcome to episode 56 of the Buff and the Blazer podcast, the show where we break down the old movies, the new movies, everything in between. I'm Drew, and as always, I'm here with my good pal, El Tato. What's up, dude? What's up, man? It's been a little turmoil on the old uh, <laughs> podcast front, but that's yeah, right. a little bit. You and me both. You, I think, a lot more. But uh, <laughs> hey, we're here. Yeah, this episode's going to be a little late. Sorry, it's a little people. late, but it's out, guys. So. Bear with us here. So I watched this film in the middle of a move. And, well, let's let's talk about what film we're reviewing today. We're, we're going to be talking about Mank, directed by David Fincher, and written by Jack Fincher, his father, and starring Gary Oldman. So I watched it in the middle of a move, but we always start with you first, Del Tato. So let's go with what your thoughts were when you watched this black and white pretty hyped film because there's a lot of buzz behind it well i don't see any reason why there would be any hype <laughs> but so i watched this movie in quarantine in my own house because my lovely lady got infected with the old covid so i was taking care of her all weekend <sighs> so that might have colored my mood a bit but just a little yeah, this movie, I didn't know anything about it. And I think it's going to be a good podcast because this kind of really represents the uh, the dynamic we're going for here. Like you, the movie buff, you know the history behind a lot of what this movie's about, I imagine. Somewhat. And me, the stoner, just your average moviegoer, right? That's kind of, the, that's kind of our shtick. So... I can tell this movie wasn't for me. It wasn't made for the average moviegoer. <laughs> it was made for the Hollywood worshipping crowd, right? All the directors, all the producers, all the people that live in this world. It was made for them. It wasn't made for the general public, in my opinion. I think that's and, a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to try and not be a total dick, but it seemed very self-indulgent it was aggressively boring (laughs) and it was some of the messaging with it i don't think is uh terribly 
uh, not not important, but not not helping the current climate. I'll put it that way. Okay. And so I've never seen Citizen Kane. All right. All right. This movie is about the making or the the writing process of that. Right. And it's just really hard to relate to, man. Like <laughs> the way everyone speaks, and like the the circles that Senor Mankiewicz is running in. It's just impossible to relate to. Nobody, I, I guarantee, people in the even in the '30s when this takes place, nobody speaks like that to each other, right? <laughs> I think you're picking up on something that I did too, where the speech is very stylized in this movie. It's, it's awful. It came off as mm-hmm. like ridiculously pretentious and <laughs> worshiping of screenwriters. And I didn't like it one bit, man. I was bored as hell. It was a complete slog. Gary Oldman's good in it, but his character isn't very endearing by any means. Yeah. And hearing some of the numbers thrown out that that these scriptwriters were making in the 30s, you know, Mm -hmm. was a bit appalling, to be honest. Yeah, what was the figure, do you remember, in the film? It was like 5,000 a week. Yeah, something like that. 2,500 a week for Mm -hmm. some of these studio writers. Yeah. You know, during wartime, like, it's it's, it's appalling that they're, if those numbers are true, if they were making that kind of money. Yeah. But anyway, just a general overview. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Okay. It was boring. I hated the black and white. The, there was a million dead end side stories <laughs> that weren't really dead ends, but they were just like coloring the yeah. mood that he was in and all the things that went into him writing the movie. Okay. And it was just boring and it sucked. That's my, <laughs> that's my general overview. All right. <laughs> How'd you I, like it, dude? I like your passion. <laughs> no, to be honest, I didn't like this film as much as I thought I was going to. I mean, it's holding it right now. It has a solid 83%. That's with 300 Rotten Tomato reviews. So it's certified fresh at 83. I was ex- expecting to like it to like it a lot more than what I did because of very similar reasons to what you gave. I thought it was really boring. Gary Oldman was probably the best part of the film, his performance. But in terms of the story, I think it's it's interesting if you're into Citizen Kane, if you're into the whole backstory of like the mythos behind the making of that film because there's been books written and biographies and that film is like it's become kind of this legendary thing in the golden age of Hollywood. But in terms of this story in particular, it just wasn't really engaging for me. I like halfway through the film, I was dozing off. I was just, you know, I I just couldn't get engaged. And like I said, the only thing keeping me in it was that I like Gary Oldman so much. Having yeah. said that, though, it does have strengths for me that I did appreciate. And those come from the technical aspects of the filmmaking, which we can get into in a bit. But in terms of the story... The, the main character, the story of Herman Mankiewicz is he's interesting because he has, I mean, he's an alcoholic. He's like a raging alcoholic that has some smarts and some wits and it makes him, it doesn't make him likable or endearing, but it makes him interesting enough to watch in some scenes. But I think in general, you're just kind of like, 
unless you're really into Citizen Kane, I don't see how anyone could really be drawn to this character, in my opinion. There's just, there's not a whole lot there to draw people in, I don't think. So I just don't find the story of Herman Mankiewicz to be something that, as you said, a general audience goer, a general movie goer would be super drawn to. He's one of those characters that he has some interesting quirks, but he's someone you kind of just don't care about. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those things for me. It's like, how like out of ideas are they, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, let's write a movie about a guy writing a movie. <laughs> so why don't you educate me a little bit on Citizen Kane? What the hell is this movie all about? <laughs> all right, well... This is from what I know about Citizen Kane. Um, Have you seen it? I've seen it. I've seen it a couple of times. I saw it once for class, and then I tried rewatching it again on my own. And I'm going to be 100% honest and upfront. It's not one of my favorite films. Okay. So maybe I'm a bit biased. But for its time, I could understand why it got so much hype. And even now, like it's considered arguably the best film ever made. So that's that's where people put it, like categorize it. That's how they categorize it. Because of the literary aspect? Everything. Like, the, like for its time, like the cinematography, the writing, the acting. And I think uh, Orson Welles, who was the director of the film, I think that was his first feature film or his first film, period. He okay. was this big figure in Broadway on Broadway and he was really well known he had all these connections and he got this massive Hollywood contract and they gave him full control which was something almost unheard of very few people had that kind of control back then and so this okay. was the golden age of Hollywood in the 30s where films were literally put on like these assembly lines so you would have directors that were like assigned films then they'd go to like the same grips and cameramen and then they'd go to the same sound people and just crank them out like a factory. Hmm. And so this film, at least from my understanding for the time, Orson Welles really took like his time making it and, and was real specific with his choices and, and all the filmmaking and technical aspects of the film too. He was able to really do what he wanted because he had all this control. And it ended okay. up just being huge for the era. And it was produced under a studio called RKO that doesn't exist anymore. So they went, they went under. And they were like, out of the big studios like 20th Century Fox, Warner Brothers, they were considered like the little brother or sister to those big companies. So what would be a comp like A24 right now? Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe like a, a step up. Maybe like a, like a DreamWorks or something like that. Maybe okay. nothing, you know, huge like the main studio companies, but something pretty close. So, yeah, this film, with all of its history, it's considered to be one of the, like, major achievements of American cinema, period. And a lot of people classify it as the best film ever made. <laughs> so they're basically trying to go back to that well and harvest a little bit more greatness by making a movie about the man who wrote the movie? Well, so here's the interesting thing. So David Fincher, who directs the film, 
I guess he's he was just like a lot of filmmakers obsessed with this story of like the making of Citizen Kane. And his okay. dad was a screenwriter and he, he approached his dad and this was like years ago when his dad was still alive and was like, you should write a screenplay on this story, this guy Herman Mankiewicz, because it's really, really interesting. And so he ended up writing the film, but then I guess it just got shelved for a while. And just now was he able to pull it off and actually get it produced. And like I said, he's he seems to be kind of fascinated by this golden age of Hollywood. Like it's it's one of those, a lot of people are, like the golden era of Hollywood in the 30s, like 30s and 40s, 50s even. It's a period that there are some good films in there, but there are a lot of like garbage films too <laughs> because they're made so quickly. And Citizen yeah. Kane was one that, sh- that stood out to be one of the real high caliber films. So, well, I guess my biggest problem with it is just, it's not interesting to me, like yeah. from a historical perspective mm-hmm. and like kind of showing the, the, sl- the slime in the industry. <laughs> yeah. Even back then. Right. It's like, I'm not interested in any of that. Yeah. Like, and wasn't, wasn't there a movie that like got all kinds of Oscar buzz last year called like the divorce or some shit with Adam driver. And it's like about a movie producer husband and wife they get divorced it's like come up with some fucking ideas (laughs) dude well here's the other thing too the other the other thing i think with citizen kane that makes it interesting for a lot of people is the background in terms of how and why it was written and it's in the film like we clearly see so there's this this association with william randolph hearst Mm -hmm. and the hearst estate and you know, he was in with a lot of these like big studio bosses, you know, just whining and dining with the rich and famous. And Mankiewicz gets caught up in all this. And I guess that's where he drew his inspiration to write the film. And by doing that, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of jeopardizes his social ties, I guess, which is another thing that, like you, I really don't care about. I don't give a shit. Man, it's just all these rich assholes. <laughs> I guess it's just the William Randolph Hearst, his fame and fortune for the time, and that a screenwriter actually went to the length of writing about his personal relationships and what he knew about that whole thing going on with with William Randolph Hearst was, I guess, is what catches a lot of people people's interests. Yeah, that's like everyone's... Well, he's kind of like a martyr, a movie writer martyr, because yeah. he spoke out against the scum. Yeah, and I while wholly participating in it earlier in his career. Exactly, that's the thing. It's like he's he he's playing in the muck. <laughs> yeah, and still treating people like shit when he's writing it, like still acting like a smug asshole while he's writing it. Like, yeah. It's just it's just really not relatable right. to the average moviegoer like me. So and, so and like I said before, it's just so self indulgent. Like oh, <laughs> yeah. the movie industry is so great, and we make these stories and they change the world. It's like none and none of it changes shit. This is what it's this film is another another business, you know. Yeah, this film it's a love letter to Citizen Kane, 
and it's a love letter to the golden era, golden age of Hollywood. That's what this film is. And if you're into those films, like the black and white films from the 30s and 40s, I think you're really going to like this film. <laughs> and there's a few that I really like, but even for me, like aside from the the technical aspects of the filmmaking and it even looks like they they may have used like old cameras to shoot some of this stuff. But aside from all that, the story itself, while in a shell it might be interesting, the way they executed it was really boring. <laughs> okay. It was really, really boring. And I get what they were trying to do with the story, like with all the flashbacks. And then yes, I mean, like we, the, we could talk a little, little bit about that, like stuff. the structure of it. So it's like yeah. it goes from present as he's writing the story, and then it'll cut to a flashback. Yeah. And then it like zips forward again and then flashes back and it's like kind of cut up in that way. Right. Yeah. And it keeps, and all the flashbacks are pertinent to his feelings while he's writing the movie. Right. Right. Moments of social embarrassment that he had to endure. Yeah. His interactions with like Hearst and the big studio bosses. So like, I understand that his, all of his flashbacks are what colored his entire opinion for writing the movie, like his big moments of social embarrassment, you know, being all shit-faced and telling people off and all that. Right. But none of it was terribly, like, interesting, I guess is the word. They're just, like, little moments yeah. to him that that somehow come together to make a much larger statement about Hollywood in general, I guess. In yeah. that movie, in Citizen Kane. But for somebody like me who has absolutely no history or no, you know, kind of nothing to relate to, nothing to reference from anything in that, it was just really hard to follow and really hard to get engaged with. Yeah, and I that's my problem with it, too. It's I didn't find the story particularly interesting. <laughs> And like you, I I could kind of, I I appreciate that they went into how the story was written and kind of who this person was, but I just don't see how this person is much different from any other drunken screenwriter in Hollywood. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's, I don't know. The only thing I really liked about the story was where he wrote the movie in Victorville. Just because that is, like, really close to where I live. It's only, like, 15, 20 miles <laughs> as the crow flies. So I was paying quite a bit of attention to the geographic background. Yeah, so you had some personal investment there. Yeah, and they and I will give them credit. They, di they definitely, at least somebody drove around Victorville to look at the, the horizon and see what it looks like. <laughs> so, so... I'll give him a little bit of points on that front. That's good. That's good. So it <laughs> checks your uh, your landscape topography box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, at least they did that for you. That's the <laughs> least they could have done. All right. Let's move move on from story because I think we, we kind of explained why we both dislike it. Let's yeah. talk about maybe not so much the characters, but the acting specifically because I think there are some strengths there. Okay. Let's talk about, well, let's start off with the man himself, Gary Oldman. I think yeah, when I, when I, we decided to do the film and you saw his name on the credits or on the cast list, you were pretty excited. 
Yeah, he's always gonna get my attention just because he's awesome. Yeah, he's so good. I really like the level of drunk that he plays. Did you find it realistic? I did. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I found his drunkness fairly realistic. His, I'm guessing the character that he was playing was supposed to be that kind of theatrical and kind of, I don't know what the right word is. Uh, the irony of me not figuring out the word to explain that he's wordy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like just that's one thing that about his character that really bugged me. Like he's constantly talking in riddles and metaphors. Yeah. In this like super, super pretentious literary way. Yeah, he's like talking in script language. Like he's talking like a script, like a screenplay. (laughs) Yeah. What did you think of his performance? I really, I thought his performance was really good. And I think he's going to get nominated for this. I think it's almost a shoe in that he's going to get nominated for this performance. It's very much the kind of role that the, the, the Academy gravitates towards. I'll say that one scene in particular that I really liked, and if I, you were to stick one scene to highlight his performance in this film, it would be in the dining hall where he's pitching the story of Citizen Kane on the fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, when he's kind of telling off. Telling off right. He's telling him off, of like pitching peeps. him a story. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a, a great scene, and I thought the way he executed that was incredible and then i loved how he tops it off at the very end by just puking all over the ground (laughs) that was probably my favorite scene in the whole film yeah same here (laughs) it was about the only scene worth discussing (laughs) yeah we have a lot of similar tastes uh at times well no I'll, i'll say the scene where he has all of his booze sneak delivered oh yeah i did like that I I did like that scene where he's telling off the one guy. Right. And uh, keeps having the delivery guy kind of open it, but then not all the way. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of funny. You know, yeah, he's, I mean, he's really good in the film. If you're a fan of Gary Oldman, I I guess that's another reason to get into a movie like this, even though it didn't work for for you or, or I on a whole. But, um <laughs> Let's see. Amanda Seyfried, she plays Marion Davies, who's like another one of those like golden era royalty people. <laughs> Is that the blondie? Yeah, she's the actress. Um, and she's the one that he's blasting, right? Yeah. In, in Citizen Kane? Yeah, she's in there, and he has to constantly deny it and say it's not based off of her when Pretty much everyone knows that it is. <laughs> <laughs> but she's good. I mean, Amanda Seyfried, she's, uh, I think she really came, came onto the scene, like, in terms of her reputation after the, <laughs> the musical tr- uh, series of movies she did, that Mamma Mia. Oh, she was in those. She was in those, and, and she got a lot of notoriety from those films, even though she had been in others. So I thought she did a good job, too, as that actress, Marion Davies. I really liked Lily Collins as Rita Alexander. Yeah, I was going to call her out, too. She was good in it. She's about the only one in the movie that was slightly believable and actually had, like, an emotional scene. Yeah. 
almost no one else did in the whole movie. She's like the one likable good character in the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the one person you can relate to and be like, oh, I, I kind of like that or I know people like that. Yeah, and I liked uh, Tom Pelfrey. Yeah. He played uh, Joe, uh, Herman's little brother. Yep. And he didn't get a lot of a lot of run in the movie, but I do like him a lot. Yeah, he's kind of like the hot shot. Ozark. And then I have to say, I really did like Tumpets Middleton, who plays Sarah Mankiewicz. Oh, the wife, poor Sarah? Yeah, poor Sarah. She, <laughs> I hadn't seen her in, in much of anything else. I think she was in... She had a, f- a smaller role in, like, Imitation Game, which I watched. I don't remember her. But I thought for the amount she was on screen, she did a pretty decent job. She's got to be uh, British, right? Yeah, I think so. Tumpence Middleton. That is Tumpence. a pretty cool name. And she was born in Bristol, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like her a lot. I yeah. didn't generally dislike any of the acting in the movie. Yeah, the performances, I think, were... They were pretty well done. It, I think the problem with some of the problems, at least, uh, that I get from you when you're talking about it is in the writing itself, like the script. Right, yeah. Like uh, the language not the and acting, dialogue. but the way they're talking to each other. Right. Nobody talks like that, dude. I don't care what year it is. Yeah, and that's the weird thing, too, because I think, I think he, it seems like he purposefully wrote the film that way. It's almost like, okay, I want to write a, a biopic about the making of Citizen Kane written in the style of Citizen Kane. Mm. Which is is really weird. <laughs> and kind of meta, Yeah, I just got to say, man, if I was ever in a room like one of those when they're doing like the little after parties with Hearst and whatnot and they're all drinking cognac or whatever. Yeah. And they're all kind of like rattling off partial sentences, finishing each other's sentences, you know? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And they're kind of talking about politics and, and elections and stuff. If I was ever in a room where people were speaking like that, I would just leave. Right. Just get up and walk out. Like, this is the most pretentious bullshit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> that's the crowd, annoying, right? Man. Like, California back in the day, I think, was, I mean, pretty conservative, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, it's money, man. Yeah. And it's like... I guess that okay. If there's one interesting thing about this film, it's how you get to see how all of this Hollywood garbage got mixed up in like political campaigns and stuff like that. Like it doesn't anymore, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it totally does. Yeah, still, totally yeah. does. But to to see that back in that era, like I I didn't know anything really about that gubernatorial race. It, it seemed like it had huge stakes. For that period yeah. but I, i'm not real familiar with it so that was interesting to me yeah it's kind of interesting time period wise because it's like kind of the birth of major union movements mm-hmm. right they're talking about the writers guild was just newly formed in yeah, one of his flashbacks and all of like the extras you know panhandling out in front of the studios and stuff like that right so I guess it's kind of interesting, but I guess that gets back to what I said at the beginning where I don't think magnifying these, you know, false dichotomy political discussions mm-hmm. is helpful in any way Yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was just a little annoyed with all of it. I get you. 
And I was more, even more annoyed when I when they're rattling off the wages that these writers are getting. Yeah. And then the scene where the studio head of MGM comes out and he's asking everyone to take a pay cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just just showing the slime. Yeah. Behind it and I guess it gets back to I kind of deviating from character a bit, but Arliss Howard played uh, Louis B. Mayer, mm-hmm. and that whole spiel that he goes on when he gets everybody to, you know, in the name of family, to take a pay cut, right? Right. But what the stuff that he's saying on their little walk, because it's like uh, Herman and Joe are walking with him, right? Yeah. Through the whatever it is, the, the studio grounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he said a couple of things that came off as, as really shitty. Yeah. And I, and I know they were intended to be, mm-hmm. but one of them was along the lines of like, when somebody goes and sees a movie, they, uh, buy the memory. Yeah. But the person who made the movie still owns that memory or something along those lines. Yeah. And I just found it really off putting. Mm-hmm. And the kind of hype behind storytelling that is really driven home in this movie, I didn't like either. Yeah. Like, I don't... There's a, a lot of... Uh, it's almost like giving lot conflicting messages. To, what's that? It's almost like giving conflicting messages, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's laying out like... It's almost like the way, yeah, like you said, that scene where he's laying out the Hollywood system, he's pretty much sell, t- telling, who's he telling? It's uh, not Mank, but like one of the, the younger people it's, that works on a staff or something. I think it's Joe, right? It's either it's Joe his, or Charles Letterer. Joseph Cross plays him. I yeah. think it might be him. I think, okay, it was him. But he's, he's trying to get him a gig as a writer, right? Right. He's basically telling him that they sell bullshit and people buy it up and eat it up <laughs> and they don't have to do anything for it. Yeah. They don't have to give anything. They just, they pay for it and we get all the profit. Yeah. And then the whole film is about the making of a movie and how that story was like the, the process behind the story and how important it was behind shaping this massive film so yeah. it's really confusing. It's really confusing, and I almost tend to side, as sleazy as it sounds, I almost side with Mayer, right? Yeah, like, same. Yes, when it he... is just all bullshit. It's just for making money. That's what it is. Yeah. And that rang true then, and it still rings true now. Oh, dude. It's And that, again, gets back to why I think it's not helpful, right? There's this really big push recently to kind of drive the point home that like people need their stories, right? People right. need their these mythological truths that are found in literary works, be it the Bible or, or whatever, religious text or just old literary work. And I think that's a bunch of rabble, man. Yeah. I think people need data and inf- good information, not stories with metaphors. But that's just you. me. Yeah, and and of course we're we're saying that on a podcast about movies. So <laughs> there's that. Well, I can talk shit on the podcast. Totally, you can. It's <laughs> a fifty-fifty. <laughs> but um, I like I understand 
it's because these films and these stories do have an effect on people. Like they can have a positive effect on people. They can have a negative effect on people. But yeah. even with all of that, there is this whole underlying thing of like studios are doing this to make money. That's bottom line. Yeah. yeah. And if the film's not going to be profitable, that's no good. Half the reason scripts get turned down is because they don't think it appeals to an audience to make money. Right. So there's a bit of hypocrisy there in this whole pushing the stories mean everything and the literary art of it means everything when it doesn't. Right. Exactly. So it's like, all right, if these stories mean everything, if you guys, if the studios are selling that message that people need stories like theaters can't close because this is important stuff. Well then stop delaying your releases and release <laughs> them to streaming so people can watch. And that's where Do you think that's a, I think that's a big reason why there's so much repetitive, repetitive nature of, of storytelling. Cause the, the executives believe that people want something that's easy to digest and they can relate to rather than something that makes them think and is, is a new style of storytelling. Oh dude, it's a hundred percent the reason why it's the reason why we have seven or eight superhero films every year. It's the reason why <laughs> we'll have star Wars films from here till we're dead. And it's, that's why, so for me, that's why I appreciate studios like A24 so much. Yeah. Is because they're one of the studios where they're not looking to make a hundred million plus dollars on their films opening weekend. Like they're able to do interesting things in terms of storytelling because they're a smaller studio and their budgets aren't these massive like blockbuster budgets. Comparing that to like a Warner Brothers or a Paramount Pictures or Universal Studios, it's a different ballgame. And that's where it comes back to this film is it's very much still like that. Like mm -hmm. the stories being pitched, the stories that are approved, it's like, okay. Like here's a, here's a good example, right? And I know you don't like musicals, but so La La Land came out, and this was like, what, maybe four years ago, three or four years ago? And... It did really well. It got Academy buzz. It won some awards. The very next year, another studio brings out that musical with uh, Hugh Jackman, The Greatest Showman. And it's very <laughs> much like a copycat thing because they're like, oh, all right, that film did so well. Let's write. We got to have ours. And it made so much money. We got to jump on that train. And it's very much like this industry, this it's a product and it's all about making money. So yeah. <laughs> I guess in terms of, of that, that's more true, I think in this film and it does a good job of showing that because oh, even though well, this film I takes place this... in the thirties, it's still relevant today. Yeah. I hope this movie doesn't catch on. I hope in 20 years, we're not watching movies about Tarantino in a hotel room <laughs> writing fucking Pulp Fiction or whatever. You know, I'm not interested in that story. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't care what the process is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Unless it's a documentary, but you don't have to make a biopic on it. <laughs> and it will happen at some point. We're going to be old. And they're going to be like the Quentin Tarantino story. Quint. That's what they'll <laughs> Quint. call it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's anyway, a, that's what's, an interesting what's next on note. our list? Well... <laughs> 
let's talk about probably my favorite part of this whole film is the like the filmmaking. So okay. the cinematography, the look, the effects. So having dumped on the the studio system, I will bring it back a little bit and say that there are films from this era that I really like. Okay. Um, and they're all, like I said, because they were assembled on in that studio system on an assembly line, they all have a very similar look. So one film, while it's, it's like a mystery thriller or a noir comedy, they look very similar because they have like a lot of the same people shooting it, a lot of the same producers, directors, yada, yada. I loved how the film opened up with the credits, like the scrolling credits, and you can almost see them pulling down the sheet mm-hmm. over the camera. It's like typical of that era. I really, I actually really liked the black and white. And I know that's okay. a direct callback to Citizen Kane because that film was black and white. So they're trying to give the same vibe. And at some points it looked like they were even using maybe like really old lenses or cameras because of the grain. I don't, to me that didn't look like they just, you know, put something up in, in their digital editor or something as like a filter. It looked pretty legit. And there were times I where I had the opposite take. Really? Yeah, I felt like it was filmed with all modern equipment, but they made it look old, like with the little watermarks when the reels would change and stuff. Like I felt like all that was digitally put in. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, well, I'm I have no trained eye. I'm just guessing. I guess. Well, the only the only gauge I have is that it looked a lot like the films that I've seen from the 30s. So that's you know the kind of comparison I'm using. So. And like I said, I don't know for sure if that's what they did, but it at least looked pretty close to those movies. Yeah, they definitely tried to give it that feel. Yeah. Did what, did anything stand out to you, like any camera tricks or anything like that? Not in particular, but what I did, um, what I did kind of like was that they they kind of stuck to that kind of flat space on the screen. So what I mean is a lot of like moving left to right. Not a whole lot of uh, point of view shots or anything real modern. They kind of mm-hmm. kept it on that, like very much screen left, screen right. People move left to right, right to left, or you're in frame, and it the shot stays kind of stagnant. That's another very like typical style from that era. So yeah, I got me, used I- to the black and white. After about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of it, I, I did think it was going to jump in between uh-huh. and like go into color and stuff, but it never did, right? No, I don't think it does. It stayed black ever. and white the whole time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's another quality about black and white I think that's really cool, and it has to do with lighting. And you can get really cool, moody lighting uh, with black and white. And there were a lot of cool shots, um, especially like those uh, real dramatic parts where he's driving in the car. And you get like, you know, his face, and there's just something about that look that I really like. It's it's very kind of dark and like film noir. Yeah, I like the scene where he's uh, talking with Blondie. Yeah, I forget her name, uh, Marion Davies. Mm-hmm. When they're walking around the the estate. Yeah. Speaking in in riddles the whole time. Right. But I, I really like the look of that scene. Or that kind of sequence, I guess. Yeah, I've never, 
I don't know a whole lot about Hearst Castle, but I'm curious to know if they shot it on location there. Not sure. Where is it? Mm. Isn't it like towards Bakersfield or something? No, it's on the coast, I think. Oh, it's on the coast? Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was like on the other side of the mountains from L.A. San Simeon. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I, I know it's on the coast, though. But anyways, I thought the look was really interesting. Oh. Yeah. Was there any effects in the movie? I'm trying to think back. Not really. It just wasn't that kind of film. If no. anything, it would have been no, the car no, crash, no. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I, I totally forgot about the car crash until just now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was probably the most action-packed part of the movie. I yeah, did like, okay, I like that little... scene, and I liked the scene where he's trying to talk his buddy out of uh, committing suicide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then how that ended, I was like, wow. Yeah, that was a tad bit heavy. Mm-hmm. It was pretty heavy. But that was a, probably another scene that I found kind of interesting. Yeah, and that kind of gets back to this thing. It's like, if you felt guilty making these political attack ads, right? Because that's what it is. Yeah. It was like a political attack right. film, or was it, an, was it an ad? It was more like a, yeah, kind of basically an ad. Yeah. It's like if you have guilt about making it, then walk away from the project. Yeah. Right? Like, don't kill yourself afterwards. I don't, I don't know. And that's like going back to the whole muck of the system. He just, like, he wants to make it in the system. He's yeah. like, oh, it was, a f- it was my opportunity to direct. Yeah. Go direct some porn. Oh, I don't think they had porn back then, <laughs> did they? Not that we know of. <laughs> you, you remember the cartoons, right, where you put in the nickel and then you roll the, the wood box yeah. and the handle? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure those were a thing. It was a little peep show in a box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What about you? Was there any shot that stuck out to you at all? No, I liked, I think I've mentioned, I liked the scene where the the kind of project manager, whatever he is, yeah, is uh, giving Mank the business when he gets his delivery mm-hmm. of the booze. I liked that scene. And then I liked the scene where uh, he pukes at the <laughs> end, even though most of that scene really bugged me. Yeah. In terms of like the way he's speaking yeah and then the the outside of the Hearst castle out on the the property with uh amanda and gary yeah i liked i liked that yeah pretty cool and it looks like they had some on location shooting which was kind of cool i always like that over studio yeah they stuff. at least had a background that looked like victorville <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they didn't get the exact uh, horizon of the San Bernardinos correct because I would have noticed, <laughs> but at least they tried. Yeah, those are those studio execs. They're like, oh, they won't notice. <laughs> they did have one spot that looked kind of like down by the Mojave River that runs through Victorville. There's like a pretty big uh, outcrop, granite outcrop kind of little ridge on the east side of the river. Right. And they when they first show up at the place, you can see that and it does look fairly similar. Gotcha. (laughs) So yeah, for me, that was like the most exciting part of the movie. Just the look of it. Um, Yeah. This is kind of off topic, but you remember that 
That horrible hotel me and you stayed in out in Victorville for like yes. two months. That's like that time period, isn't it? Or uh, was was that hotel a little later, like in the fifties and sixties that we stayed? That's in? what it looked like to me. It looked like something out of the sixties, but okay. I don't know. I mean, Victorville is pretty old, so I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I I One actually wouldn't even be surprised. On Route sixty six. Yeah, is that what that was? Was that Route sixty six, or supposed mm-hmm. to be? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's where. <laughs> what the, the hell was the name is. of that hotel? The uh, green something. The green, the green tree. Green tree. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the green tree. Shout out. Yeah. Keep it retro. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about. What I can't wait to hear you talk about is the score of Mank. What did you think about that? I don't have as much of a much to shit on on the score. I feel like it was very in line with the style that they mm-hmm. were going for and very in line with that kind of old-timey movie-making deal and it didn't bother me a a huge amount. Okay, all right. Did you, you uh did you see who the uh, composer was for Mank? Is it Trent Reznor again? Trent Reznor. <laughs> Is it really? Yes, it was. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, Trent Reznor. <laughs> He's uh, on a roll lately. I guess. <laughs> I was just joking when I said, was it him again? Nope. Yeah, That's hilarious. Yeah. And I, okay. Uh, Real quick, because this bugged me after the last episode we did. I have to make a quick correction because it's important. For Soul, I think I said that Trent Reznor, we we gave Trent Reznor a shout-out, right? And I was like, oh, cool, he does jazz, and I didn't know he could do jazz. He didn't do the jazz. <laughs> oh. No, he didn't do the jazz at all. It was uh, this guy, Atticus Ross. Okay. And I guess he composed all the jazz stuff for that film. And then Trent Reznor did all of like the kind of synthy afterworld kind of music. So that was Trent. <laughs> but as far as I well, know, at least you, at least we corrected it. There you go. Yeah, that's the B and B corrections. <laughs> and I think he that's his style too. I think he he co composes a lot of stuff too. But uh, mm. yeah, I guess that's what it is. Oh no! Shit. Did uh, was I there think anything it was the that stood same out two to guys you? for Mank too? I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Did anything stand out to you in this one in terms of like? Uh, yeah. You you liked it like it enhanced. The um, movie? the thing that stood out to me was that it was very dramatic, and it was uh very much. It sounded like a film out of the 30s. Okay. So they really honed in on that style. They were like, let's make this film sound like it was made in the 30s. All right. And uh, I want to go back to one thing real quick. Sure. I did like the very end scene where they show Gary getting the Oscar and then they kind of bleed into the actual photo of Herman Mankiewicz. Yes. I did like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some interesting choices here in terms of uh, filmmaking, I think, for Mank. And again, I think it's a it's another category. It'll get nominated for cinematography. 
Um, nice. But yeah. So yeah, score Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross again for Mank. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, let's do another one. The dynamic duo of scoring movies. Yeah, I guess so. All right, well, I think we've gone as far as we could go with Mank. <laughs> we've done the best we can. Um, you really think this movie's going to win a bunch of awards? Because I think if it does, that's fucking bullshit. I don't think it's going to win a bunch of awards. I think it's going to get nominated okay. for a bunch of awards. Okay. Yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm really, I don't have no idea who, what's going to win a lot of awards because the uh, movie season's been kind of weird. Yeah, who knows even what's going to get nominated and win. Yeah, no idea. But I do see a Best Actor nomination coming out of this film for sure. All right. With Gary. So let's get into so our love hates. Yeah, why don't you go first on love hates this time? All right. So my loves are, I loved the style of the film. I liked how it was, it, it looks like a 30s film. And as a film nerd and being very much into filmmaking, I enjoyed that. I feel like I could put this film up with, you know, some of the some of the old classic films of that era, and it would fit right in. So I thought that was really cool. And in terms of hates, I just didn't think the story. I wasn't invested in this story. I didn't. It just I don't know. I, it didn't it didn't appeal to me, and it was pretty boring, <laughs> and it was slow. <laughs> and even though I did watch it in the middle of a move, and I was tired. When a film's good, I'll stay up and watch it. I'll watch it all the way through. And if it doesn't capture my attention, I often doze off, just like a lot of different people. And <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I I didn't doze off a few times during this film. <laughs> okay. So that's my take on it. What about you, man? Um, I don't know if I loved anything about the movie. I guess... Uh... I liked uh, Gary Oldman's performance. Yeah. I felt like it was... He put a lot into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I hated about it is just how self-indulgent it is for the the whole Hollywood crowd and how <laughs> unoriginal of a idea it is. Yeah. It's like, what's next? Are we going to... We're going to watch a movie of Tolkien writing Lord of the Rings in his house. <laughs> you know what would be the there writing. What would be the ultimate like Hollywood thing to do for this movie is a sequel. <laughs> it's like we're living in the the age of sequels. A sequel to this movie? Yeah, I'm just trying to make a bad joke, but like you 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 mentioned the unoriginality of this. Yeah. It's like a a lot of times people are just like, you know, everything coming out in theaters now are sequels. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. well, that's everyone's flooding out to go see sequels. So, of course, the studio is going to make sequels. That's what they're making money on. So, yeah, if, so, we, if we stop watching, you know. But see, it's uh, it's easy to say, but like I'm going to be the first one in line to watch Coming to America, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's not really a sequel, right? Um, Is it? Or it is. It's like it is. Yeah. Okay, it's not a straight remake. No, no it's the it's even like ninety percent of the cast. See, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I don't have a problem but with it. I'm just saying. What would be the ultimate in self indulgence here would be the next movie is called Finch, 
and it's just a movie <laughs> about David Fincher directed by making, David Fincher <laughs> making this movie. Oh man. No thanks. <laughs> no. Good. Thank you. I'm good. I'll watch a Star Wars episode 10 before that. Fuck, I'll watch a Star Wars before <laughs> another one of these stinkers. Yeah. Love me my Star Wars. <laughs> oh man. You got another one of those coming soon or what? Mm, yeah. There's uh they re- they unveiled a couple of films. Remember our friend Patty Jenkins from uh, the Wonder Woman yeah. movies? Yeah. She's slated to direct one. All right. About the pilots, so that could be cool. So they're spinning off, right? Away from the the main story because the story's complete now. Yeah, that's what Disney says, but uh that's never going to be complete as long as they own it. Uh as long as they make that money. Yeah, people love their Star Wars. Yeah, but not for a while. I'm not expecting any movie like that to come out for a while. Yeah, <laughs> All man. right. Well, let's slap a a number on this sucker. Okay. Let's start with you. What do you give Mank? I will give half a point for the care, uh, acting, uh-huh. right? I didn't enjoy the characters much, but I'll give it to the actors. I'll give a half a point for cinematography uh-huh. because it was, you know, intended to look like an old movie, and it did look that way. And, uh, yeah, half a point. So I'm at one. Um, it's okay. definitely not getting a point for the umami. All right. It's definitely not getting one for story. Right. And I will give a full point for score because I feel like it really fit. So a whopping two bong loads for Mank from El Tato. Cool. What about you? All right. So let's see. Let's go down the list here. I didn't like story. I liked the acting. I'm going to give the acting a full point. Because I thought from top to bottom it was good. Okay. I'm going to give a full point to cinematography look because I think they executed that well for what they were going for. And then I will give half a point to score because I thought it enhanced the film enough and it wasn't super original because it was meant to be an homage to classic Hollywood films. So that's why I'll give it half a point. I didn't like it. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a two and a half, two and a half bucks right. of popcorn from me. And so I'm guessing we're not going to recommend this film. <laughs> I think I'm it not. fits. I think it, a certain crowd it'll appeal to. If you're over 60 and you love Citizen Kane, you might be interested in it. <laughs> over 60 is the, that's the cutoff. Yeah. Okay. So 60 and above and you like Citizen Kane. All yeah. right, cool. I'll just say that's my that's my take on <laughs> that's El Tato's bar. I'll just say <laughs> if if you're into Citizen Kane, if you like the story of Citizen Kane, and you're one of those people that that really recognize it as one of our shining achievements in filmmaking and and movie history, then you'll probably really enjoy the story in this film, and you probably already know it. <laughs> So I got a confession to make. What's that? So my mother is in her late sixties and I hit her up after watching this movie and I was like, Hey, what's up with Citizen Kane? I, that's exactly what I said. And uh-huh. she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, what, what is it? You know? And she's like, it's just some old movie. And I was <laughs> like, is it, 
have you seen it? And she's like, yeah, it was all right. It wasn't very good. <laughs> and, and and she's like, it's it's hailed as like the best movie ever, but I thought it was pretty damn boring. <laughs> and Like mother, like son. <laughs> yeah, we have similar tastes. And she keeps saying, you got to do The Godfather on the podcast. You got to do The Godfather. Oh, sure. <laughs> we'll get around to some Godfather. And I told her, I said, Mom, that's a trilogy. That's like a lot of work. Yeah, and that first one was work. Like three hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, shout out, Mom. All right. I haven't seen Citizen Kane, but I'll take your word for it that it sucked. <laughs> Words <laughs> of wisdom from Mama Tato. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess that's we've broken that film down as much as we can, maintaining our respect, I guess, as much as we can. I'm blown away at the Rotten Tomatoes score. Like, I feel this is almost like a hostage review. Like, nah, yeah, I critics mean, are scared we'll just think of about backlash it, right, if they say the movie sucks. Well, think about it. So, what, 300 reviews, right? Anyone even in that profession of reviewing films, they're part of that crowd. That crowd <laughs> of Citizen Kane is one of the best films ever made. So... And just that alone is going to kind of color your review of the film. Yeah. And David Fincher, he's a great filmmaker. He does some really good films. It, this one, it was okay. It, it's just not one of the most engaging films I've ever seen. I just don't see. Oh, he did seven? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he's, a, he's a really well-known director. Gone Girl, haven't seen that. That's a good one. Social Network, oh, he does have some bangers yep. on his he won his, his award for that. I haven't seen that either. Yeah. Lords of Dogtown, oh, he was just a producer on that. Yeah, hmm. he's had a he's had some bangers. Oh, and he worked on uh, that canceled Netflix show, House mm-hmm. of Cards. A bunch. He did Fight Club. Oh, really? Yep. Well, everybody can have a whiff, David. Don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> how can you go from Fight Club, which is insanely original? I know it's a book, but so original and so cool to just making something like this. He probably is oh, enthralled of, with uh, the Citizen Kane thing. He's trying to appease all these all these boomers before they die. <laughs> nah, I wouldn't even say that. I <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I'll just stick with that. I like that. That's what he was doing. It's like, He's I like, get what will make the boomers money, man. happy today? <laughs> this movie about Citizen Kane will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, maybe we'll get some hate for hating on this so much. That'd be nice. Yeah, I don't think we get that kind of respect yet. <laughs> we don't get <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah. One, one day we'll be able to piss someone off, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you know you've made it. Yeah. Well, hopefully we got some better movies coming. We got the return of Hot Chick kicking ass next week. Yeah, there were some good ones that dropped, so we got some, some good content coming your way. Yeah, the theaters decided to stop being assholes and release stuff <laughs> so we can watch it. <laughs> Not just in theaters. Where yes, theaters haven't been open for fucking nine months. Yeah. We'll see what happens. 
But that's all I got, man, on Mank. Anything else before we sign off here? Boo. All right. Well, you heard it here from the Buffalo Plays. That was episode 56, and we just beat Mank a little bit. We kicked it a little bit. <laughs> but it, it's not down. It's 80-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it can take a good kick in. Yeah. So. All right, everybody. Have a good week. Sorry this one was a little late. We'll get back on the train. Hopefully things get straightened out a bit better next week, but uh, we will catch you guys on the next episode. Peace.